Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. And salvation is the first step. Then after you get saved, God says, now I want to use your life. Right? If you get saved, if, if that was it, I, I guess we would just get saved and die and go to heaven. But he says, now that you belong to me, I want to use your life for my glory. Many of us got born again and God has been using you and you've been used to lead others to Christ and encourage others in their relationship with the Lord because God said, now I saved you with purpose. I want to do something in you and through you for my glory. All things were made by him and through him and for him. You are no accident. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Bill, he encourages you with this truth. God has known you and has had a plan for you before the foundation of the earth was created. You have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, and God desires to use you mightily within His kingdom. Pastor Bill urges you to take time to sit with God this week. Ask Him what His plans are for you. Ask the Lord how you can partner with Him in His kingdom mission. Know that you are precious to Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians chapter 1, as he begins his message, Supremacy of Christ. I titled the message, The Supremacy of Christ, that's really the goal of the, the message and the section that we're covering this morning. It's just how Christ should be supreme over everything. I would ask everyone here to consider in your own life as we get ready to read these verses and go over it. Just where is Christ in your life today? Is he supreme? Is Christ over everything in your life? Is Christ a piece of your life? I think some people treat Jesus like a condiment, right? Like the main thing is the hamburger and Jesus is the, the mustard or the ketchup. I just got a little Jesus in there to keep me, keep me right. But Jesus is supposed to be the whole thing. And so is he supreme in your life? Is he just a piece or a part or is he the whole thing? And again, I want you to be able to identify it. So if Jesus is less than what he should be, you can get it right before you leave here today. So never point things out so people could feel bad. I'm pointing things out so that we could realign ourselves and be right where we need to be with Jesus. Amen. And so we'll see again, some of the most important statements about who he is, what he came to do in this section. One of the things Paul does is in most of the false teachings, they wouldn't deny Jesus. They wouldn't even deny that he was important. They just would reduce him to something less than God. Much like most of our false religions today, it's rarely anyone that denies that Christ existed, right? They'll even give Christ status. He's a good guy. He was a great teacher. Maybe he was even a prophet. They just diminish him to something lower than or less than God. They'll say Christ was prominent, but he was not preeminent, right? They, they, they reduce him to just a little bit less than what we must see him as. And so we'll be careful today to see that he is preeminent. He's not just prominent. He's not just a big deal. He's actually God came in the flesh. And so as we go through these verses today, we're going to learn about Christ in three different ways. In, in um, verse 15, we'll see about his relationship, Christ's relationship to the father. In verses 16 and 17, we'll see his relationship to creation Verse 18, we'll see his relationship to the church. So now with all that, look at Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. It says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And it, it just opens up. Paul is, you know, following the prayer that he prayed last week. And he says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Now we know that God is spirit. 
And so, again, the people that Paul would have been speaking to them there, um, God is spirit. And, you know, how do we how can we see God? But Jesus, as he came as God in the flesh, he gave us a physical representation of who God is. If you guys remember when Jesus was speaking to Philip in John's gospel, John 14, 9, Jesus told Philip, how long have you known me, Philip? He says, if you have seen me, you've seen what? The father, right? Because he said he and the, him and the father are one. If you see me, Jesus said, you've seen the father. And so if, if I'm trying to have a relationship with God, I want to know what's God like, right? Maybe you're here and that's a question you want to know. What's God like? What's God love? What's God hate? You can go through your gospels and you can study the life of Christ as laid out in scripture and God will reveal to you who he is through Jesus. Jesus is, is, is God. Some, some, someone that said God put a human suit on. God put skin on. God left heaven, came to earth, became one of us and dwelt among us so we can get a glimpse. God, what is he like? What's he love? What's he hating? If you follow through the gospels, I'm going to throw I'm gonna, just, just a quick test real quick. As you go through the gospels, someone tell me something you can see through the life of Christ that would show you. I think that God loves this. What did God love as you go through the gospels? Anybody? Oh, be brave. Be brave. He loved people. All right. Somebody said people. He sure did because he died for them. Right. What else did he love? What did Jesus love as we, as we go through the gospels? Children. He said, let the little children come to me. Um, what else? Say that. Say that louder. The father. Okay. He loved the father. He said, I do always those things that please the father. Give me one more thing that he loved. Humility. Okay, we'll take all that. Now, what did he hate? There's a few times in the in the gospel you see Jesus look like he's a little turned up, a little bit holy, ticked off. You know, I don't know if you can say a holy pissed off, but a sanctified ticked off a few times. What upset Jesus in the scriptures? Okay, religion, pride. What group do we see Jesus like? Some of the harshest words in all the New Testament were set aside for this certain group of folk. Okay, so the false religious phony balonies. So what don't you want to be? A false religious phony baloney. Y'all hear that? That go you go read Matthew chapter is it twenty three? It's almost all red letters, and that's about the most heated you're gonna see Jesus in the whole Bible. And so if you want to know what you don't want to be, you can go read that. And so when he says, Look, he's the image of the invisible God, that's what Jesus was. Jesus, I'm gonna show you what it looks like. I want you to know who God is. I want you to know what God is like. And so when I look at Jesus in scripture, when he came into contact with sinful people, what was he like to the sinful people? How did he treat them? He was gracious. Was he gracious? Compassionate, right? He was trying to see him get saved. So I wonder sometimes why church folk, because I'm not this church, because I know we different over here, but sometimes church folk don't seem to emulate that, right? Sometimes church people you know, you come across somebody that's doing the same thing you used to be doing. And then we look at them like, I don't know, why would she wear that? <laughs> you know, you for, you forgot you had one of them outfits, you know, two inches less of it, as a matter of fact. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he gets, if I want to know who God is, I can just study the life of Jesus. It says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And it says later, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when I spend time in the word, studying the life of Jesus, I'm getting God saying, this is who I am. I'm showing you what I love. I'm showing you what I hate. I'm showing you what blesses me. I'm showing you what pleases me. It's all there for you. And so again, verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God. 
This is a, a, a description of us, of Jesus. That word image, it, it, it conveys the idea of a representative, right? So Jesus, you know, he wasn't just the, the image, like showing us what God is like, but he also was God's representative. So the initial man, right? Who was the first man God put on earth that was going to be his representation on the earth? And did Adam do well? Adam jacked up, right? Adam, Adam ate the Adam wife came and said, here, babe, have you some? And he ate the fruit and it all went down from there, right? So Jesus would come, the, the second Adam. Now he's God's representation on the earth. And so again, when it says the word, he's the image. He's also the representation of the father to us. Why did God do that? God says, I want, I want to know you and I want you to know me, right? God says, I'm not way far off. If you thought I was, I sent somebody down that looked just like you so you could get to know me. I made sure to record in scripture for eternity, everything that he did, everything that was important for you to know so that we are without excuse. We can know God. And so, and we should know him. We should study him that we might know him. And so again, he's the image of the invisible God. Then it says next, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, some of the cults like to use this verse, the firstborn over all creation say, oh, see, he was not God. Like he was just born. Like you were born, he was born. He was just the firstborn. But if you look up the word firstborn, it's used three different ways in the scriptures. And one of the ways the word firstborn is used is, is in a place of preeminence. It's in a place of, of putting someone over. Doesn't necessarily mean born of a person. It could be used like Mary when she had Jesus. He was her firstborn son. That would be the literal sense. But over in, if you're a note taker and you just want to have these things for the future, over in Psalm 89, verse 27, speaking about David in the Psalm, it says also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Speaking of David. Now, David was not the firstborn son in his family. Matter of fact, he was the last. He was the baby. He was so insignificant that when his dad was told that, hey, the next king of Israel is in your house, bring out all your sons and line them out so I can pick them. David wasn't even brought out. He was like the little scrub kid. Like it couldn't be him. He in there, he can go in there and wash the toilet or something. So they didn't even bring David out for this. But he said, the Lord said, I'm going to make David this. I'm going to give him this position of preeminence. I'm going to make him higher than the kings of the earth. And when, when it says that, that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, um, this is through the relationship with the father. God has given him this unique place of supremacy, of sovereignty overall. And so in another sense, all believers, right? All Christians, all believers are God's children. We are sons and daughters of God, but not the same way Jesus is. This is another place where some cults are like, we're God's too. We're a son of God, just like he's a son of God. Y'all know that y'all are not Jesus. I, I hope you do, because, you know, there's some other things about Jesus. He was sinless and perfect. Anybody here can just wake up and you know you ain't that. Amen. Say it like you know it's true, right? So I don't know how these cults be selling these these lies, right? That people like you, you are a little God. No, you're not. Everybody here could know we're sinful. We need God. We're not God. We need him. And anyway, but he's the firstborn over all creation. Again, this was something that God had, had uniquely given that the idea of firstborn is he's first in rank. Again, he's preeminent. 
the scriptures here let me know Jesus is not below anything. He's above everything. He's been given this unique position through the, through his relationship with the father. And we'll see later that, you know, we saw already that him and the father one. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the father, me and the father are one. There's not a distinction. Some people are happy to worship the God, the father, but they're like, but I don't know about Jesus. I'm going to just pray to the father. Or I'll just, it, today it's become popular people to say, you know, I just, I know there's a creator. I trust in the creator, but they don't want to give that credit to Jesus. But we're going to see in these verses that Jesus is all that. He's the creator. He's created all things. He's the firstborn over all creation. So he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, I'll read the whole verse and then go back through it. It says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Rather, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So we got three things in verse 16. All things were created by him, later on through him, and ultimately for him. So there isn't any part of creation that he's not a part of. First of all, all things were created by him. Um, That means he's the source of creation. Both the physical and the spiritual realm Jesus is the source. He is the one. There's God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. They all had a role in different things, but Jesus is uniquely the one who created all things. All things were created by him. And again, he's the one that did the work. He was the architect behind these things. So God is the creator. So some people would look at Jesus and say, well, you know, you know, I believe in God and such and such. You know, they just, they'll look at Jesus as a, if you demote him as anything other than God, if you make him lower than that, if he's not acknowledged as the creator, then we fall into other traps, right? Cause the world tries to sell me on something else. The world won't acknowledge that God is a creator. What is the world telling us? How did all this get here? An explosion, they, a whole bunch of bogus It's, I think it requires more faith to believe in science than it does to believe in the Bible. I'm going to tell you why. If you follow science every so many years, they rewrite their books. Do you know why? Because the science of today proves the science of 10 years ago wrong. Do y'all get an apology note? You do not. I graduated high school in 1993. The, the science of 1993 is proved wrong by the science of today in some areas. I never was sent the letter saying, we're sorry we miseducated you, sir. They just keep it pushing. And they rewrite their books and people go on and people got faith in science. It went to me, forgive me. No, don't forget. I, you just, it's, it's got to be stupid to believe, to put all my faith, to put all my marbles in an entity where y'all keep getting it wrong. And y'all don't say sorry when you get it wrong. Now, how many times has the Bible been rewritten? Contrary to popular belief, never, right? We got the original copy here. Whenever they found original copies and compared with what we got here, guess what they find out? It's the same thing. The Dead Sea Scrolls, a great example of this. And so without a rewrite, when the Bible has spoken on scientific things, though it's not a science book, guess what? Always found correct. Always right. Never been wrong. When they thought it was wrong, they just got science, got better and found out we were correct. I'll give you one example. The Bible talks about in several places how that the stars of the sky are innumerable. Right now, there was a time in our scientific history where our telescopes could only see so far. They had not only numbered the stars, but they had actually named the stars. They had numbered them and named them. They said, look, the Bible says they're innumerable, but we counted all of them and we gave names. You guys are wrong. 
Then they got better telescopes and they can see that while wow, the stars of the sky actually in num- did they say sorry? Did they issue an apology? No, they just kept it moving with a new telescope. So I digress. You know, when he says, look, I'm the creator of all things, he needs credit for that. And the world would steal that from them. So we got to be careful about how much weight we give to academia, how much credit we give to those institutions, because those institutions begin with the premise that God is not. And they got to figure it out from there. And so they end up, you know, they end up in error in a lot of things. And so, again, all things, verse 16, for by him, all things were created. Now it says this, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, Rather, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. So God is saying, look, not just the things that are seen, the plants, the moon, the star, the animals, the creatures, the birds, the lakes, the waters, the rivers, the beach, and the people. That's the things that are seen, the things that are on. I did that, he said. Then, y'all know there's an unseen realm, right? So there's a demonic realm. There's angels and demons. There's an unseen realm that we don't get to peer into. He says, I created that too. Well, here's the cool thing. If he's the creator of it, he's also the Lord of it. So do I got to be scared of the unseen realm as a believer? No, I'm in touch with the creator. I know who created this whole thing. Do I know that there are demons in the unseen realm? Certainly. Do I know there are angels in the unseen realm? Absolutely. The Bible says that, you know, we each have, there's some angelic, you know, work involved in keeping some of y'all safe. Some of y'all working y'all angels over. They're going to have something to say when you get to heaven. They're going to you're see your, your angels all tattered and worn out. He's going to be like, you, you needed to go ahead and get here, you know, but God is good for that. So, you know, God says, I created all that and I'm the Lord of all that. If you want to know what's going on, if you're curious about spiritual things, you don't want to seek another avenue. You want to go to the one that created it for information about it. So we got to be careful. There are people that are curious about the unknown, curious about spiritual things. Well, don't tamper with or dabble in that in any other way other than going through the one that created it. And so he says, look, I'm the creator of all things that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible. That whole section here where it says thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all these are referring to, you know, spiritual entities in the unseen realm. So Moving on now, the rest of verse 16, he says, all things were created now through him. What's the difference of it being created by him and being created through him? By him spoke of him being the source of creation. Through him means he's the agent of creation. He's the person in the Godhead that had the creative act. God is the one. Some of y'all are designers. Some of you guys like to design things. You see it in your mind and you you put it all together. That is not my gift. My wife, my daughter, they got that. I know some other people that can see something and kind of get a vision and do it. God's that person. Jesus is that person of the Godhead. It was by him, but it's also through him. It's, It's through his creative powers through it he's the agent of creation and then lastly and maybe most importantly it says for him everything is created for jesus did you know that because you're part of creation did you know that you were created for jesus you might say what does he want with me what does jesus need with or want with me if every one of us is created for him what does he want with us couple things first thing on his heart is Jesus intends to save you, right? Every one of us is in need of a savior. How many of us know that we sin and fall short of God's glory? We blow it, we sin, we mess up, all of us, right? We need to be saved, we need to be forgiven, we need to be cleansed. Jesus says, look, I I want to do that for you. I actually left heaven. I, I want you to understand this. Jesus was in heaven chilling. 
Everything was as it should be for Jesus. He was worshiped. He was glorified. Angels were singing all day long. Holy, holy, holy. He was treated the way he's supposed to be treated. He left all of that and came to earth, born of a virgin, had a mom tell him what to do, lived in a community where they told him your mom had you out of wedlock. He had people that he created in the world that he created talking smack to him. How many of you guys could deal with that? Right. Let's say you start the business. You own the business, you create the business, and then you step into your business and people that work in your business is talking smack to you. How many of y'all handle that well? Well, we'll be, we'll be terrible geniuses, right? You'll fire the whole company in one day. Yeah, everybody fired starting from scratch, you know, not Jesus. He came, he endured that for you and for me. He went beyond that. He had people, you know, accuse him of things he didn't do. He took it. He went to the cross. He picked 12 disciples. He knew Judas was a mole. He needed somebody to betray him so he can get to the cross because he came to die. And ultimately, he went to the cross in my place and in your place. And all my sin, all my guilt and my shame and my sin and yours, he took it upon himself and he died. He paid him full for what we did. And now he says, look, I want to save you. That's what I want to do. All things are for me. You are for me. I want to save you. I want to save you from your sins that you can be in relationship with me. Here's what transpires. When you come to Christ by faith in the finished work of Jesus, the Bible says that Christ's blood that was shed for you, he now purchases you, right? You were a slave to sin. You were in, you were in the clutches of Satan, but now through the blood of Christ, you are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Now you belong to him. You've been purchased by his blood. You become his son or his daughter. Now you belong to him. And now your life is his. It belongs to him. That's, that's what he came for. He came to redeem you from Satan. That's one thing that he wants. That's why he came. That's one of the reasons all things are for him. You were in his creation are made for him. So if you are saved, you've been saved for his glory. There's something God wants to do in you and with you and through you. If you're not yet saved and you're here today or you're watching today or you're listening today, then today would be for you the day of salvation. Jesus died that you would come into relationship with him. That you would know him intimately and personally. He knew you couldn't do it on your own. He did for you what you could never do. And so, again, all things have been made by him and for him and ultimately through him, but for him. And salvation is the first step. Then after you get saved, God says, now I want to use your life. Right? If you get saved, if, if that was it, I, I guess we would just get saved and die and go to heaven. But he says, now that you belong to me, I want to use your life for my glory. And many of us got born again and God has been using you and you've been used to lead others to Christ and encourage others in their relationship with the Lord because God said, now I saved you with purpose. I want to do something in you and through you for my glory. All things were made by him and through him and for him. And we should know human beings, we are the glory of his creation, right? Y'all know y'all are more important than the animal kingdom to God? This is how you can know that. There ain't no plan of redemption for the animal kingdom. Y'all know when your dogs die. I'm so sorry if anybody's dogs have died recently. But when the dogs die, guess what? That's it. Don't go to the, the fluffy clouds in the heavens. You know, the, you're not going to see fluffy when you get there. They're not all your, all your dogs over your lifetime not going to run up and nip you in the heels when you make it to heaven. Animal kingdom, when they die, that's it. But for you and for me, God made a plan. We are eternal beings. We get the opportunity to be in relationship with the living God and have eternity through him. And so all things created uh, by him, through him, and ultimately for him. Look at verse 17. Now we know he's the one that holds all things together. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things and in him, all things consist. 
He's before all things again. This is, he's before, he's in importance and significance and preeminence. He is before all things. Christ is supreme in every area. He said, but I, all things also in me, all things consist. I was reading on this with one guy. I'm, I'm not a big, a big science guy, but the idea of everything consisting in him is, is that he's sustaining. He's sustaining everything in the universe. He's the source of sustenance for everything that we see. In science, and this is a scientific thing, it says matter is made up of space, which doesn't make sense because like, well, what holds all that together, right? If matter is made up of space, then what holds all the space and all the stuff together? Right here, Jesus says, I do. I hold all things together. We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As the Apostle Paul urged the members of the Colossian Church, to remember fully that they were saved by the blood of Jesus and that their lives should reflect that. The same goes for you and me. If we have said that we believe in Jesus and what He did for us, then there is a practical side to living out our faith. We have the opportunity to set an example through our obedience to Him. In other words, are you letting God lead you every day? Are you giving up control on how your life should be in your home, in your workplace, in the world? Friends, through this yielding, there will spring a deeper desire for more of Jesus. And our prayer is that your relationship with Him will grow every day. Care to know how? You'll find all the information you need on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Just click on the Know Jesus tab. Here it is again, calvaryinglewood.org. For more personal contact, feel free to call or text us at 310-245-4811. We would love to encourage you more in your daily walk with Jesus. So please, pick up that phone and dial 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry from Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, out of Inglewood, California. This concludes the time we have for today, but we're so grateful you took the time to listen to this issue with Pastor Bill. We'll be back again to share with you more on A Transforming Word.